Well, welcome to another episode of Open World Chat. I am one of your hosts, John Odom, and I'm here with the other host, Jim Dandino. And oh, we're going to have fun today. We have as a guest, uh, Dr. Mark Card. And let me see if I can get through all your credentials here, Mark. You've got a master's and a PhD from Texas A&M, specializing in international conflict. You were a Fulbright Scholar to the Graduate Institute of International Studies at the University of Geneva, and you're an alum of the Stanford University and Hoover Institute, uh, Institute on International Conflict. Sorry, I just doubled up institute there, but you know, it still, still counts. And you're joining us today to deconstruct and play around with that Star Trek Holy of Holies the prime directive i'm very excited and welcome and thank you for being here oh you're quite welcome this will be fun (laughs) well first of all why don't i i mean there's there's a lot to unpack here we could go all over the place we could go for for a couple hours on this although probably folks would start falling asleep but i'll just i'll just start it for those listening who don't know and there are none who don't know who are listening but the prime directive is general order one. And uh, I did a little looking and the, the closest we got to actually laying it out in verbatim uh, was from the original series episode, bread and circuses, where we are told it's no identification of self or mission, no interference with the social development of said planet, no references to space, other worlds or advanced civilizations. So this is the big rule that says, that the uh, Starfleet cannot interfere with other cultures. With pre-warp cultures. Oh, well, well pre-warp our, cultures. But the pre-warp. big question is whether they're developing cultures. And even pre-warp cultures is a question we might want to get into today because there's incredible inconsistencies on this. So, uh, so Mark, what, uh, give us the rundown. How, is, uh, how does this uh, look as, as foreign policy? Sounds it's- good? It's interesting because it's an international norm. And in this particular case, it would be an inter-federation norm. Keep in mind that one of the problems with stuff like this is that you end up with the principle is only as good as the members of the organization are willing to follow it. So one of the problems that the federation is going to have is that, well, the Romulans don't have this prime directive. The Klingons don't have this prime directive. The Cardassians don't. The Ferengi certainly don't. So how useful is it when everybody else around you is not participating in it? And so that becomes the real problem like any other international norm. You know, we have international laws, but almost everybody violates them at one point or not, uh, another. And Sometimes they have good, valid, justifiable reasons for it. And sometimes it's just about raw, naked power. So the prime directive becomes one of those things that while, you know, you want to try to adhere to it as much as possible, you just may not be able to. Mm -hmm. And there might be times when it's just not valuable or practical or it may, following it may cause an existential crisis. Well, is it, I mean, it is, is it a question of usefulness though, if it's a statement of an ethic, if it's, um, you know, cause you, you think of statements of morality, well, I don't steal and it doesn't matter if people I encounter might steal. That's an ethical principle and I'm going to stick to it. 
Sure, as long as you actually do stick to it. But in Star in Star Trek, it's everywhere. There are gazillions of episodes where they don't stick to it at all. Mm-hmm. And it's not mentioned and it's not even discussed. It's kind of interesting. I was looking at the at that first the, the the original series episodes, and there are kind of some highlights in there. And from the get-go, even though they don't mention the prime directive, the unaired pilot, the cage, and then the menagerie later on, you know, when they decided to incorporate that into the regular season, that right there shows why it's so important to have the prime directive. Look at how the Talosians interfered in the Federation's business. And, you know, what's, what's the, uh, the penalty from then on for approaching Talos? Ooh, death. That's death. right. It's one of the few death sentences left in this super progressive culture. Yeah, and the it's only the, one, I think. Yeah, I think it is. And the, the whole point, I mean, that, that's, that just demonstrates to you why you have to have this kind of intergalactic ethic. But as I said... What happens if you don't follow it? So you've got an ethic, but as we all know, ethics and can sometimes end up being relational. But yeah, so if, if you look at the, the, the cage slash the menagerie, this shows the necessity for the prime directive. It shows that you can have disastrous effects on everyone around you, even to the point of threatening your own species, if you intervene in other cultures which aren't as... Uh, advanced. I mean, obviously, the delusion culture is completely, totally, you know, it's a quantum leap away from it, the Federation. I mean, they can control everything with illusions. Well, there's also the, is it the Voyager episode where the Ferengi get stranded in the Delta Quadrant and they become gods to the pre-warp civilization? Is, am I remembering this right? I think you're remembering it right. I didn't, um, obviously didn't have time to rewatch all of Star Trek ever. Yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> about every other Voyager. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's about where I'm at with Voyager too. Um, but it, I mean, that's the that's your like you got the Talosians on, on kind of the Federation end of the spectrum, but then you've got also you know the 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 downward looking perspective, which is you know to uh, what is it? It's Arthur C. Clarke's rule, right? Any advanced, any sufficiently advanced civilization, their technology will appear as magic to us. Yeah, right. So you know you've got the Ferengi with their replicators and their weather control machines that. Are, are using it to um, accumulate gross personal wealth on a pre-war planet. And it is appalling the way that they're exploiting these people. Um, and that, that is, that's another one of the federations, I guess, exhortations again in, in favor of the prime directive. Yeah. I mean, in general, as a, uh, as a, as a rule, it's a great idea. You don't right. want to expose civilizations that aren't as far advanced on the spectrum to stuff that's essentially magic. I mean, you can completely disrupt whatever development they might have. Right. As you see in every season of every show, <laughs> there are instances where the writers violate it. Right. Well, it's you a know? product of its time too. I mean, it's, it's explicitly it's clearly anti-colonial. Yes. Which is nice. Um, but obviously Vietnam was going on then. And we were like, you know, a lot of folks were like, what are we doing here? Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, it does come from the the Vietnam culture and support of the protest movement against Vietnam. But what's 
funny is it's not very long into season one before they break it. <laughs> uh, the episode Taste of Armageddon. The one where the, the two I love planets, that one. The two, I love that episode too, where the two planets have decided that they're going to institutionalize and sanitize war. And instead of actually fighting each other, they run an algorithm which spits out casualty lists. And then they all have to report to death machines and they voluntarily step in and as a, a duty to this to their planet and the idea of institutionalized sanitized war, they step right in. And what does Kirk do with that disruptor pistol? He starts destroying the booths because mm-hmm. no society should sanitize war. So we're already, I don't know how many episodes that is in, a step back as far as we can go from the... Now, having said that, uh, <clears throat> I don't think they really discuss whether or not it's a pre-warp culture. But it's still, it's, still, it seems like it's a violation of the Prime Directive. Well, they put a cheat in it, too. I mean, later on, this is all still original series, and I'd love to get to to more as well. I'm sure we will. But um, what episode is it? I think it's the Apple, where you've got this uh, population sort of held in sort of, you know, developmental and cultural stasis in which I think that's the one where Kirk says, well, that only applies to healthy developing cultures. So there's a big out for you. Yeah, that's definitely a big out. But again, as I said, you know, this is the problem with international norms. This is the problem with intergalactic norms is that while they may be kind of uh, hailed as a standard, when it comes down to it, what becomes the most important dynamic? And that's power. Oh, that's depressing. Well, sure it is. But, you know, even the Federation has has a. You know, let's face it, this is a TV show and the writers are going to be looking for some way to develop some action in the show. And to do that, you might want to examine what happens if you violate the prime directive. Which they did also. They beat some people up for doing it. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all right for, you know, Kirk to uh, and not anybody else. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's that's just a good axiom in general. It's all right if Kirk does it. <laughs> Isn't that the well? Uh, I'm not. I'm not through Lower Decks yet either. But isn't that the premise of like half of the early Lower Decks episodes? Is that it's not just Kirk who does this? Yeah, they have a lot of fun with it. Right. <laughs> yeah, Which I'm is a about- great place. I mean, it hasn't really come up in recent years, except as a gag. I mean, there's there's that, but also when it when it, they they had it in the the J.J. Abrams reboots there that beginning scene in Into Darkness where they're, you know, running to get away from the aliens. You see at the end of, uh, of the teaser there, they, they've drawn a big picture of the Enterprise that they're all worshipping. I mean, that's a variation on the gangster planet in the first, which is also played for laughs, but doesn't seem like they're taking it too seriously these days. Well, and sometimes, sometimes, and I'm going back to the original series a lot because, you know, that's kind of sets the tone for the Prime Directive, mm-hmm. uh, both as a, a writing device and as a general idea behind the civilization developed by the Federation. But, you know, McCoy screws up, shoots himself full of Cordrazine, jumps into the, the, the gateway on the city of Edge of Forever. And now they're forced to violate the prime directive, but that's to keep their own civilization back on track. The Does that whole- count as violating the prime directive? It's, it's, your own civilization. it's a pre-warp culture. 
fair. That's fair. Oh, so, Mark, are there any international norms that that you can that you know of that are kind of analogs to this? Um, are there any you know in the real world? Geneva Convention. Yeah, I think the Geneva oh. Convention is a good one. Um, law of the Sea is a good one. Okay. Um, there are certain What's the law of the sea. I'm... The law of the sea says that a, a certain extent, a certain distance out from your coastline is considered okay. your territory and inviolable. Um, we're seeing some yep. pushback on that now in the in the uh, South China Sea with China building artificial yep. islands to kind of push that <laughs> outward. But most countries, yeah. most countries will um, will abide by the international law of the sea. There are salvage rights. Uh, maritime mm-hmm. salvage rights are a very good example of an international norm that actually works. And the way that, you know, that's kind of a ultimate Ferengi law. And the first people to show up at a, a, a maritime wreck, they get to claim everything they can salvage. Uh, okay. There are some fishing rights that are a good example of norms in, in that you uh, uh, have as a country a right to fishing in certain zones, although we've actually gone to war in the 20th century over that. Iceland and uh, England had a, a, a short little war involving fishing rights. A lot of that is, 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 a lot of that may end up being more intensified with global warming. Yeah, well, and the English do love shooting at people over their fish. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that's probably a fair statement. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that comes to mind. Um, Alliances, generally speaking, have worked out well as international norms. Uh, even in the Cold War, you have NATO and the Warsaw Pact. And those, well, sure, <laughs> sure that's a great I, I... example because the, the Warsaw Pact was fairly coercive. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a few, and there are a few which work pretty well. You know, most countries do try and stick to the Geneva Convention during warfare. But then again, you know, what happens when you start losing? Right, right, and and yeah, and I'm thinking about enforcement too, um, particularly in light of kind of what's happening in Ukraine now. You know, is that so? You know, if there is no enforcement mechanism, which we see kind of in Star Trek, there isn't really an enforcement mechanism to the Prime Directive. Nobody ever gets punished for violations, right? Yeah, no one's ever been punished for it, as far as I'm aware. So, you know, without any kind of enforcement mechanism. There isn't anything besides their own moral integrity slash the volume of angst the writers want to put in the episode holding anybody back from prime directive violations. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, like I said, it's a norm rather than an actual law. Yeah. That that makes a difference. You know, how how would you enforce the prime directive? Well, there's a military structure in the Federation. They could feasibly enforce it through court martials and stuff. Well, and then um, the whole thing gets completely clouded when you look at Section 31. Who knows what they're doing? Right. They don't even know what they're doing, right? Yeah. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're either being taken over by rogue AI in Discovery or they're, you know, blackmailing illegal genetic experiments in Deep Space or they're, Nine. Or they're carrying out the, the temporal Cold War. Exactly. Right. In so, yep. So, they're, and they're, they're not an enforcement mechanism. They are prime violators themselves. Right, and 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 they're without any kind of. There's no sanction on them for whatever they do. God, they really break the show. Yeah, they really. They're do. really. They're they're really like 
I, I I've liked individual episodes with them, but I really don't like what they do to Star Trek. Yeah. yeah see, I, I thought the same thing in that they completely undermine the civilization that you are supposed to have developed where material goods or material needs are fulfilled and mm-hmm. you know we don't interfere in other cultures and now you've got section 31 you can do whatever they want as long as we are perceived to be under threat yeah it's and so it's such a cynical it's consistent with a realist take on the star trek utopia because i think all of us living in the world that we do now expect that there is some group that has to have little to no restrictions on it to uphold some kind of nebulous sense of Federation ideals, right? Um, yeah. That that the crew of the Enterprise, that the crew of the Discovery, you know, that the crew of Deep Space Nine or Voyager can live those ideals to their fullest because there is a group willing to assassinate the right Klingon at the right time to keep things that way. Well, or that, that there is a cynicism. group willing to poison the changeling homeworld. Right but in the in the Star Trek ethic, though, you don't need to have that group. You know, there's there is a bit of an honor system to to enforce this stuff because everybody's honorable. And when there's an exception, it's like you know, like Captain Tracy. Uh, it's it's shocking. It's horrifying. Um, right. And I but mean, that, Section Thirty One. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's going to say that was part of the utopian ideal. His that utopian ideal got a little out of control in the first season or two of Next Generation, where. Roddenberry didn't even want people arguing with each other really. And so that it got a little like, really, but still, I think at its, at its root, there's, there's supposed to be honor there. We're supposed to have it. And, you know, this implies that there isn't. Well, it's the whole idea that, uh, you know, uh, Churchill said when he said that truth is protected by a bodyguard of lies, that in order to have this system, in order to have a system which can operate and push this kind of ethic which essentially what the, the point is, is to, to push this ethic on all of the, the members of the, the galaxy. You know, that, that's the whole point of the prime directive. Oh, well, we're going to do things differently. And implied in that is you should too. But the idea is that if you're going to have a democracy, you have to have people who are willing to violate the principles of that democracy. So it ends up being a paradox. Can you have that that democracy and protect that democracy if you don't have people who are willing to violate the the idea of democracy? But um, I don't know. I think section maybe 30, we can't. Go ahead. Well, I was just, maybe we can't. <laughs> Y'all are depressing me more. Uh, yeah. Oh, no shit. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. The world, the world is all peaches and sunshine. Don, don't worry about hey. it. Don't sweat it. You, or at least the twenty third century is supposed to be. Damn it. <laughs> well that then that, that's where i'm coming back to is right like like we've got we've got our utopian fiction that says that the world is this or that the world can be this then that that like basically you get three seasons of the original series and you get five seasons of the next generation before it it intentionally undermines itself right because it's like season two of deep space nine when section 31 comes in mm-hmm. am i right yeah that's right i think yeah so so you basically get like seven seasons worth of story before you get a retcon that completely undermines the utopian aspect of the show. And, and I say this as a deep space nine partisan too. So I don't know. I I don't really know where I'm going, 
with this other than just kind of being sad. Well, I don't know. You know, shit's a bummer, man. (laughs) It's it's true. And in Voyager, I mean, around the same time, they, they were explicit, you know, future Janeway comes back and tells Janeway basically, you know, screw the prime directive. I mean, not in so many words, but. uh, Well, like I said, that that prime directive is going to fall to practical, especially existential crisis situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you destroy the, the transwarp hub and put the virus into the Borg, because if you don't, there is going to be no Federation. Yeah. Is any kind of conflict then with anybody else, strictly speaking, a violation of the prime directive? Well, I don't know. I mean, is any kind of conflict a violation of that? You know, that brings to mind the episode uh, Private Little War. Oh, yeah. Where Roddenberry threw up his hands and said, I don't know how to deal with this. Oh, well. Yeah. Where, you know, the situation where you've got two warring sides and the Klingons have already intervened in this civil war. And the question becomes, what happens to the other side if we don't intervene? Which is interesting to me because that's kind of a justification for Vietnam. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, the white unicorn apes might get them all, as I recall. (laughs) Well, no, it was, there were there were two sides. The Klingons were pushing for one faction within that tribe to to take over the other one. So there was a it was a civil war, and and uh, you know he's like, well, we can rifle the barrels for them, and that won't be enough of a technological edge to completely wipe out the other side. It'll just give them a, a slight advantage uh, because they've been behind for so long. And so you know, it, it, there's this tension between. When do we follow the prime directive and when do we not follow the prime directive? And, you know, there's some good, there are some good reasons for using the prime directive. Um, I think the, the, uh, the um, taste of Armageddon is a good one of those that I mentioned earlier, <laughs> where, you know, you've completely sanitized war so that war is uh, no more difficult than voting. Why you know. both get vaporized? That one was always something I would cite, and I, I guess it 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 uncovers my own uh, frustrations with the Prime Directive. I always would compare that one to the Next Generation episode, uh, Half a Life, with um, uh, what's his name? All I want to say is Charles Emerson Winchester, David Ogden Stiers, right, yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> Where you know you got the guy who's you know his culture says when you get to a certain age you got to kill yourself. And Picard is like, yeah, well, what can I do? Prime directive. Tough. Too bad for you. Maybe someday you all will be more enlightened. Goodbye. And I used to get so mad at that one. I would be like, damn it. If this were Kirk, he'd just take one phaser, take over the whole planet and tell him to shape up. And, you know. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of this, I mean, if you look at the international system on the on planet Earth, a lot of this is kind of dealt with. When do you intervene in a civil war? And when do you not? Or not dealt with. <laughs> I mean, look at Ukraine. Right. You know, well, is it is it international norms that are dictating our non-involvement in Ukraine, or is it brutal real politic there? Right, because like we have very good reason to believe that if people start getting, if more people besides Russia and Ukraine are involved there, this thing could spiral out of control and engulf everybody. And there are some people who are making the argument that it already has. Well, um, I would argue that we are involved. Yeah. We're not directly involved, but we're definitely in a proxy war now. Sure. And, and But a lot of people would argue that we've been in a proxy war since 2014, right? Yeah. Because, there, there, you know, because there have been various cyber attacks on our interests and, and uh, sure, you know, sure. funding of 
certain, you know, Syria and, and shit over there. If you look at Ukraine, Russia really, uh, uh, to put it in Star Trek terms, got a whole lot of people who were committed to the prime directive to change their minds. Yeah. I mean, Sweden has been neutral for what, 200 years? Yep. And they're supplying arms to Ukraine. Yep. Finland with a what, 1900 mile border? I don't know if that's accurate, but a giant yeah. border with Russia. Yep. They're getting involved. They're joining NATO. Yeah. <laughs> they're uh, fast tracking their NATO application as of yesterday. And, you know, I lived in Switzerland for a year. And so I can tell you right now that the one thing the Swiss love more than their, their money is their neutrality. Yeah. And Even the Nazi bankers are like, this is messed up, dudes. <laughs> yeah. And if Switzerland has, has chosen now to, to violate their principle of neutrality, then, yeah, there's, there are some good instances. And I'm not necessarily saying this is true in Ukraine, but that's an example of where even though you have an international ethic, you might find a good reason to violate. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you look at the whole premise of uh, first contact. The whole premise of first contact is you have to... I guess that that doesn't work because we're talking about uh, they don't make first contact until we do have our first uh, warp engine come online. So there is still interfering. It's just in a sense, more like uh, a private little war that we were talking about where, where the bad guys show up and interfere. So then we have to interfere to, because if we don't, there may be an existential crisis. Mm -hmm. So there's this tension between when do we violate it and when do we not? And some of that comes from the writers, but some of that also springs from the entire concept of this international slash intergalactic ethic. We're talking a lot about how it or when it doesn't work. When does it work? Well, I'll tell you one place where it works, uh, but it's not the Federation violating it. And that's in the, the first season episode, Errand of Mercy, mm. where the Organians see the squabble between the Klingons and the Federation on the mining planet. Oh, and they and, say they think it's disgusting to get involved, right? <laughs> yes. They say it's disgusting to get involved, but they force the Klingons and the Federation into uh, an agreement which uh, essentially prevents them from being involved in a, an existential crisis. I have my own answer to this, but I'd love to hear both of you two guys um, senses of what was the most egregious uh violation of the prime directive in your opinion that we were supposed to cheer on that's a good question oh uh, for me it's got to be uh janeway's decision to put the virus in the borg and uh destroy the trans warp hub it's the only way they're going to get back and it's the only way they're going to prevent the borg from assimilating the whole federation that's but is that really a violation of the prime directive because, I mean, do they admit, I, 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 again, I need to go back and rewatch Voyager. I've only caught bits and pieces of it as my wife rewatches it for the eighth time. But, like, that's not, I mean, I guess technically, at a very high level, they are interfering with the development of a species, right? Well, oh, are the Borg, are the Borg even really a species? Are they even really developing? Right. They're not developing. They're pilfering. They're, they're assimilating. They're consuming. Well, hang on. Nobody says it. I mean, civilizations develop by international conflict all the time. Right. By annexing territory. Yeah. When you become the head I mean, as distasteful as it is, war is a useful tool in certain instances. 
Mm-hmm. That's fair. That is not inaccurate. And, and they do develop because they are assimilating technologies and characteristics they don't have. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Having for, said for that. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. The Borg don't interfere if the technology is not superior. I thought they, they just... I thought they just consumed. I thought that they just swept across the galaxy and and assimilated anyone that anyone that had bodies that they could add to the. Yeah, I think they go for the bodies too. I mean, I guess it's hard to well, say for sure. It, in the opening statement, they make, "We are the Borg. Your technological distinctiveness will be assimilated." Yeah, that's true. So I don't think yeah. they're just looking for. And, and you find out in in all the series except the original series, of course, that they ignore cultures which don't have sufficient technological development. Okay. So <laughs> in a twist, you might say that the Borg are using a form of the Prime Directive. And more faithful to it than anybody else in the universe. <laughs> Ooh, we're getting now, deep here. That's the big uh-huh. statement right there, buddy. <laughs> uh-huh. my, so my favorite violations of the Prime Directive are, are generally going to be when Riker needs to have sex with someone. whenever will Riker wants to have sex with a primitive civilization and he just goes for it because that's that's who he is Um, well yeah but you know that's that's kirk too right right that's fair but you know kirk sits in chairs like a normal person so he's you know (laughs) one step below Riker for me (laughs) well i think um and i don't remember exactly how it went down boy i need to rewatch deep space nine but when, you do. Uh, it's so good. I know the one uh, you're talking about. Cisco and Garrick tricked the Romulans into getting involved in the war. Oh shit! Uh, it's not dance with the, it's not dance with the devil in a pale moonlight. Um, <laughs> hang on, yeah, I'm gonna find it. I know exactly what it is. In the, because, it is in the pale moonlight. In the pale moonlight. But but again, the question becomes: Is that really a violation of the Prime Directive? Because they're a warp civilization. Yep. Yeah, they are. And actually, pretty soon they're going to be super dependent on the Federation. Yes. Absolutely. Actually, sure. you know what? The holodeck, knowing what we know about all of the sentient life that's created by the holodeck, doesn't the existence of the holodeck slash holosuites constitute an ongoing massive violation of the prime directive? Only in this in the instances where you actually have sentient holodeck life. You know, it's not like it's actually spread throughout all the holodecks, right? Well, I, I mean, I, I feel like it happens enough where you can assume 15% of the time your holodeck program is going to become a living life form, <laughs> a living hard life life form, right? <laughs> like Vic Fontana, Moriarty. Right. Um, there's the, uh, the, the lady that Jordy had sex with who was actually real. Um, what's his name? Oh, Jordy. Yeah. When, when Jordy was just being a nice guy. The warp drive scientist. Yeah, the warp drive lady. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. She, uh, the, her, her holodeck person became sentient there, right? Did that one become sentient too? That sound, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, um, there's the alien species that beamed their consciousness into the holodeck to talk to Riker, so he well, could have sex with her at the jazz club. We're missing there the was, big example. The big example is, and it shows it's the Doctor in Voyager. Right. Right. Oh yeah. That's yep. the big example. I mean, yep. that's one of the first things he says is, "Hey, this is my life." Yeah. Why won't you let me do more things? Right. And yeah, now Janeway and Pro- and now and now now uh, the emergency command hologram in in uh, Prodigy, which is Janeway. Yeah, but I would argue that those are entities in our culture. There's different forms of life that are 
you know, it's, it's different when you're talking about Moriarty, where he exists in this, you know, completely different cultural context. It's just artificially created. But the doctor, he's a doctor in our world. He's just essentially a different life form. He was, and he was created to be the doctor. Like there's, there is actually a distinction. I get, I, I agree. I think there is a distinction yeah, yeah, between yeah, Vic Fontana or Vic Fontaine and, and the doctor. But I think the, my point stands though, that, uh, you know, hologram, you know, that hollow suite programs have become self-aware frequently enough where I think you can classify them as their own sub life form and continued use of the holodeck or hollow suites. Oh, may oh. constitute a holiday. Wait, there's an episode. There's a Voyager episode. I'm just, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, what am I thinking? There's a Voyager episode with all the holograms. Oh, crud. Am I making this yeah. up? Better look this up. I'll cut all this out. Oh, oh I'm man. looking it up right now. Okay. All right. I'm going to throw some cold water on your, on your idea. If they are sentient, they're part of a uh, warp culture. Oh, that's true. It's that warp culture thing again, but they're so inconsistent. Yeah. They've been inconsistent. Well, see, I, yeah, I, I think Charles Emerson Winchester later. warp culture. I think that was added later because you could certainly you could certainly argue that they're developing socially. Yeah, mm. holograms are. Mm. They so do is the temporal it. prime directive anything different, or is that just a cool use of the term prime directive? Well, I mean, if it is, then it's violated probably more than any other intergalactic norm there is. I mean, yeah. everybody violates the temporal project. <laughs> yeah. The, the, only person, the only person who objected to it was Archer. He's like, uh, yeah, hey, should we be doing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. There's a whole section on memory alpha that's just about violations of the temporal prime directive. I mean, there's huge. They're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yep. you got to go back to the to the one with uh, Terry Gar and what's his face? I can't remember the his name. Gary Lockwood. Yes. That was temp. Oh, with Gary Lockwood. You don't mean the Gary Seven one, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that he's from the same time though. They're just from a far, far away. No, but, right? but, no they go back. They're accidentally shot. Oh, back oh I thought time. you meant Gary Seven's people, the Watchers. No, 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 no. Oh, no, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, they're accidentally shot back in time, and they have to make sure that the astronaut who's the first manned mission to Saturn actually gets there. Oh, you're mixing episodes. I got you. I okay. got you. Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Wait, does, doesn't, doesn't Gary Seven appear twice? Nope. Nope. This is, by is the way. The same this one is... with, with Terry Gar. No, Terry Gar is the Gary Seven one, which is a pilot for another show, spinoff that never happened. And then you're thinking of Tomorrow is Yesterday. Yeah. They accidentally hit like a black hole. They call it a black star. They're flung back in time. And there's the astronaut with the, yes. you know, and they have to go around. Be you're right. Back. Yeah, mixing up two but, different episodes. You're yeah, right. Gary Seven, they went back on purpose to study. Yeah. It's like, we got to learn this trick. Now let's go back and, and poke our noses and stuff. Yeah, that's right. And that's the one with the uh, orbital nuclear weapon. Yeah, right. <laughs> this, this, is, um, this is the plot of season two of Picard, by the way. Everything yeah, we're discussing I, right now. I know I haven't seen it. I've only up to episode two, but I already know that's coming. So yeah. I'm just so the the time travel stuff is all like that's what they're in the middle of. Plus Borg. So plus Borg. Well, and then you you get into the whole alternative universe. Well, there's a ton of, of intervention going on there. There's a ton of intervention across the multiverse. I think. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that, I think that's right. I think it goes both directions. But in our direction, we have the, you know, in, in the in the Federation direction, you have the prime directive. Should we be in, you know, should 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 Kirk have told Spock, 
hey, you know, you yeah. need to try and fix this system. Yeah. Or <laughs> FYI, of in course. the future, in the future you're going to be the, grabbed the war, by angry the pre-warp culture. Yeah. They're not a pre-warp culture. Is this, is this an over-intellectualized conversation for us? <laughs> no. This is, this is precisely the correct intellectual level. <laughs> the mirror universe, I guess they violated the Prime Directive as a matter of course, right? Like, I feel like, I've, I feel like Deep Space Nine, I remember mirror universe episodes where they went out of their way to violate the Prime Directive. Yeah, pre-warp. Yeah, once again, but that's but see, not consistent. I wonder either. when that pre-warp stuff was... I think that's a later edition. I think so too. Yeah. I think it's like the developing cultures. I think they're trying to keep this prime directive idea alive on life support and they keep putting patches on it. I don't know if you can. I mean, maybe that's what we're figuring out here is that this thing just doesn't work except as a plot device when you need it. Yeah. As a convention. Yeah. Well, and then, and, and I guess that's where we come back to with all of this stuff is everything is a plot device. It's not, Right. It, like everything in the Star Trek universe exists when a writer needs it and ceases to exist the moment it becomes too complicated to fit into a story. And the good stories figure out a way to get around it. And the bad ones, you know, lampshade the fact that they're violating it. Right. And that goes back to what John was saying about how after a while, Roddenberry didn't want any dissent at all, even right. among the crew of their own ships. Right. Which is so. not great. Not something, well, not, not something that series. I want out of my TV series, right? <laughs> yeah, it's documentary material, right? I mean, this is this is this is part of the conversation we had last week. Was you know, as much as I want to see stories about the students at the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning taking trigonometry, that is not something that they have the space to fit on the page when they are telling stories because they have a limited amount of space to fit into that story. So like the kind of deliberations about the precise wording in, uh, you know, Federation study committees over what, what the precise wording of the prime directive should look like. That's something that we're not really going to be privy to because it's kind of boring. And that's not the point of telling Star Trek stories. It's the same reason why we don't have a series about the Academy yet. You've you got some potential <laughs> for conflict, but they, you know, they, they do talk about Kirk. And Finnegan, but that's about it. Um, I think we're getting one. Didn't Paramount Plus just announce that they're working on something like that? I thought so. They always also, there was the talk of the movies. It keeps coming up, you know, but it never, never quite happens. We talk a little bit about it. You know, you've got the Kobayashi Maru. Right. Which has been done to death. Thank you. Oh my God. Aren't there other tests in Starfleet Academy? Yeah, but those are the boring ones. (laughs) <laughs> the, the open book one. Nobody there's cares about the, and right. Nobody cares group. about the fucking open book astrometrics test. <laughs> okay, they just want to see how bad you are at dealing with your crew getting blown up. <laughs> well, you know, the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, the, the ideal way to do the Kobayashi Maru would be for your unwinnable situation to involve the Prime Directive. Right. That is actually another great one that you they violate should incorporate. Or you not violate. Yeah. Right. Your crew's going to die if you don't violate it. a great way to wash out your uh, officer material. Because are they going to stick to the ethic or are they not going to? Or are they just going to reprogram the simulation? (laughs) Yeah, by that standard, Kirk definitely fails. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because he's violated that that traditional norm. You say he fails. I want cheaters. 
Well, yeah, of course you do. I'm, I'm just saying by the standard of do you right. uphold the prime directive as your inviolable general general order number one? Of course, isn't cheating to go off a little bit an an implied repudiation of utopia? Why do you want to cheat in utopia? Right. If your society's perfect, there's no no incentive to cheat. That that's the same uh, justification the Soviet Union had for um, putting dissenters in mental institutions. This is a perfect socialist society. How could you dissent? You must be mentally ill. So we're comparing oh, Kirk and no, I'm not going to go Stalin. Yeah, Stalin. Oh, don't worry about there. it. I wasn't going to mention it. No, no, Just no, no, imply. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> this oh, is man. getting worse. This is getting worse. Now we're comparing <laughs> Kirk and Stalin. Before I was just depressed about the, you know, whether it's a developing. I don't really make that. I, I'm not making a comparison. Too late. It's been done. Thank <laughs> It's airing in two weeks. <laughs> I'm not concerned. But, you know, that's, you know, the, the, it becomes the idea that, you know, this is plot armor, that the prime directive is plot armor. We use it when we want to use it to create a moral or ethical dilemma, and we violate it when we want to ramp up the action. And either way, the decisions the characters make is protected by the use of the prime directive. Well, I suppose as a strange plot device, it is that has been helpful. Oh, sure. I mean, like I said, there's this constant tension between do we follow the prime directive or is this an instance where Kirk needs to grab a disruptor pistol and single-handedly change the institutions on a planet that have been around for hundreds of years? That's right, man. The strong man philosophy there. <laughs> back to Stalin. Now, now, now who's getting back to Stalin? <laughs> <laughs> this is all 100% John's fault. <laughs> well this has been a blast it probably seems like now that we two on two occasions now compared kirk to stalin and i think if we mentioned stalin three times he might show up um unless he, unless that's what's happening in <laughs> the world right no, now no no, no. Khrushchev, khrushchev will come in and tell us that everything's okay though all right well before we start banging <laughs> shoes on the table i should say then i think uh yeah i think it's a good place to wrap mark Thank you so much for joining us. This oh, thanks for the opportunity. If you can think of any other reason for me to show up, I'd be happy to participate again. This was great. Oh, we'll come up with some. We'll find a way. Don't worry. Definitely. But we won't interfere with your culture while we're doing it. No, not well, as, long, as long as you're not pre-war. As long as you're pre-war, it's fine. Thanks, as always, for listening. And our theme music is by Christopher Fiatic.